Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking uh, about a lot of different things today because it's Farmer Friday. So we will talk about any agronomic topic you would like to discuss. You just give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Now, I don't know if you're following the weather uh, that we're getting on our farm here, but, man, we got above zero finally, and then we headed right back down below. And I think it's going to get down to 20 below zero. So for those of you in the south that are curious what that's like, that's 50 degrees below freezing. So it's going to be cold up here. And whenever it gets cold in the north, we start thinking about, huh, well, what are some excuses for us to get out of town? And one of those really cool excuses is Commodity Classic. That's coming up very soon here. And we've got Brandon Whip with us, who is also looking to get out of South Dakota and head down to Commodity Classic. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're very excited about the show that we're planning. So Houston, Texas is a city that we've never gone to before with Commodity Classic. And so it's been it's been a real challenge, but it's also been very uh, fun. There's a lot of brand new opportunities in Houston that hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about a little bit this morning and we're looking forward to welcoming farmers down there here in about six weeks hey let me just ask you this though with houston are you expecting more for attendance i mean it is a little bit more centrally located in our country as opposed to when you're in phoenix or when you're in orlando you know i i do think we are going to see a, a really strong attendance number i've got some great reasons why if if any of your listeners have maybe heard of commodity classic but they've never uh, attended uh this actually would be a great first year for them to try it out. Um, for instance, the end of last week, I was looking at flight prices out of Sioux Falls, and some of the most reasonable uh, flights to a commodity classic that I that I ever remember, and I've been attending since 2015. And so that's, that's going to be a big consideration for people. And, and the warm weather, too, as you pointed out. Uh, it's going to be nice getting out of... Uh, you can't get a whole lot further south in our country than that. Uh, you're just about on the Gulf of Mexico there, so that's kind of a nice feature. That's right. That's right. Well, and speak about that, Brandon. There's a lot of stuff. Besides the trade show, besides seeing literally every brand of equipment and hearing from pretty much every expert in the ag industry, uh, everybody's there. Uh, but there's other things to do off to the side too. I know a lot of times people say, well, I'm bringing my wife with me. She doesn't want to look at tractors all day like I do. Uh, are there plenty of other activities going on? Oh, there's so much going on in Houston. In fact, we happen to be there during the Houston Rodeo. And early on in the planning process of this, I heard, I heard about this Houston Rodeo. They said it's the largest in the world. I kind of thought it was just a Texasism because, you know. Oh, yeah, everything ev- in Texas yeah, is a little bigger. Exactly. <laughs> so, I, I, honestly, I didn't think that much of it, but I started researching the kinds of concerts that they bring in every night. And this is like three or four weeks straight of rodeo events during the day and, and really top-notch concerts at night. And so Saturday, uh, the, day, the day that Commodity Classic ends, we've actually got a relationship with uh, the Houston Rodeo, and we've got some tickets lined up at a really good price. Um, and it's going to be sponsored by Bayer, the transportation to, uh, to the rodeo. And we actually have Hardy, who's a, a really good country artist, been up and coming for the last couple of years, award-winning guy, a very good entertainer. That's pretty cool. Well, you know, I, I look at the entertainment things, but of course, Brian and I are, are big egg guys. We could just talk farming oh, all yeah. day long. Oh, yeah. And this is kind of a nice thing, too, because we see people, and we've been going to Commodity Classic uh, pretty much, I, I can't even remember when we first started. I know when we were kids, we were going to these kinds of meetings with our dad, too. And uh, we just loved seeing farmers from 
uh, several states away, the other side of the country, uh, and even some international farmers we've got to know, all from Commodity Classic. The the camaraderie there, the networking, it's just second to none. Yeah, even if you're speaking to a farmer who raises the exact same things that, that, that we raise here in South Dakota, it's you get a little different angle on it from a southern producer, for instance, some of the challenges that they deal with and, and their perspective on life. It's been, it's been really instructive for the way that I run my business, and I think all the attendees that, that go to Commodity Classic really enjoy that, that diverse uh, group of perspectives that they get. You know, and the new products. This is something that Brian and I have just started our, our uh, winter workshops here this week, and a lot of the questions revolved around new products. Everybody's excited about, hey, is there something new? Is there a better way to fight tar spot, or is there a better way to fight corn rootworm, or something like that? And uh, when you see all the new products, really all the major companies in ag will be there. Major companies, and, and they will be releasing brand new, never-before-seen products, actually, at Commodity Classic this year. We're so, so excited. Excited. Uh, that, that goes back to what I said earlier. If there are producers that have maybe, you know, they've heard of Commodity Classic, but they think it's made, it's just for association guys. You know, they're just doing association business there, which, which there are those meetings happening, but there's so much more than that. And I think if they come down to Houston and they see all of the all of the brand new releases from these companies, they're, they're going to really be amazed at, at, uh, at the kind of show that we've put together for them. All right, so the schedule this year has changed just a little bit for the regular attendees. Uh, talk to us about that. When when actually is the trade show open? And uh, if you were heading down there, what, what do you and your wife like to do? Well, so the trade show will be opening on Wednesday at 3 p.m., which is different for us. Normally we have opened on Thursday morning. But, uh, you know, discussions with our uh, planning group, we'd kind of like to get away from the weekend because, you know, I think the COVID pandemic changed a lot of things for a lot of people and it changed their attitudes about work and it changed about the way that they want their work to interact with their private life. And so we really want to show that lives in the work week and then your weekend is yours to experience Houston goes to the second part of your question, what my wife and I plan to do. Um, so my wife is a real space nerd, and so we're really looking forward to being in Houston, where oh, yeah. uh, where there's going to be a lot of uh, NASA things to look at, and, uh, and we've actually arranged a tour for our attendees if they want to sign up for that um, to go to, uh, to to see some NASA things. It's really going to be fun. It's really cool. There are some really neat places to travel to around the United States, and I know when you talk to farmers, a lot of them say, well, I've never been to Houston before. This sounds exciting, and, and we're hearing the same things that Commodity Classic should be a lot of fun this year. There should be a lot of attendees there uh, just because of the location, but also people are excited to get out and interact with other farmers again. Uh, we're talking with Brandon Whip here about Commodity Classic. You can find lots of details online about Commodity Classic. There's still time to get signed up. There's still access to hotels and those types of things as well. Stay tuned. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hate all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. 
Planting preparation starts as soon as harvest ends. So do successful at-plant strategies. Put time on your side with at-plant inputs, insights, and innovations that help you make the most of next season's planting pass. You're already thinking about seed, inputs, and crop protection when you plan your season. Include them all in your planter to give yourself an at-plant advantage that pays off at harvest. Always read and follow all label directions. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or Naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of Naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Wow, did this week go fast. It's hard to believe it's already Friday. It's another week closer to planting season. That's how I look at it this time of year. We would love to hear from you today. Our phone lines will be open for your agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Start off down in Texas. Get Franklin on with us right now. Franklin, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are y'all? Pretty good. Pretty good. We were just talking about Commodity Classic being in Houston this year. We're excited to head down there. You going to be down at Commodity Classic? No, I don't think I'm going to make that one. Um, I think I'm trying to remember the, the time of year that one is. I'm usually pretty busy in the field. Yeah, it's funny. You know, we, we aren't busy at all that time of year in the field up here. Lots different down where you're at. So uh, are you already planting corn or what are you doing at that time? Uh, well, we're cotton only. Um, and I'm trying to remember that. What time of year is that one? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Coming up the end of February. Yep. Oh, no, I won't be busy at all. <laughs> uh, well, I say that I'll be doing kind of some early prep on some early tillage, uh, cutting down last year's stalks and then, uh, pulling our beds back up. You know, think talk about last year's stocks on the on the cotton. It, this has been an interesting crop. We've raised just a little bit just for show at our field day here in South Dakota, which not a cotton growing environment. I'll tell you what, that crop really likes the heat, and we just don't get quite enough oh, yeah. of that here compared to what you get. But uh, talk to us about that stock because this this is a tree. It's not the easiest stock to break down. Yeah, it pretty much is. Um, there's there's a couple of ways that we do it. I mean, for years and years, we had what's called a stalk cutter, which is basically just a about a foot and a half to two foot long blade that's probably four or five inches tall. And there's, on a little star-shaped gang, I think five of them. And then you'll have one, or the newer ones have two of those little gangs per row. And they're usually eight rows wide. And we'll, we'll drag those across, and it just kind of chops them up. Um, some guys have switched over or they started using, uh, now like, what do I call them? Bush hogs. We always call them shredders or, uh, the flail mowers. Sure. 
And then now in the last 10 or 15 years, we're starting to see more of what's called a stock puller, which basically has two what look like tandem discs or similar to tandem discs that pinch together almost at the bottom, and it'll pinch that stock and pull it out of the ground. Okay. Interesting. But it's it's fun to deal with. They will they will do a number on tires if you're. If you're not <laughs> I, be- I believe that. Okay, talk to us about raising cotton each year. Then, uh, do you have struggles with nematodes or insects or diseases? What are some of the challenges of farming only cotton? In our area, we don't. Um, we're not sandy enough. You, you go a little further south of us. They have a, a little sandier soil, and they run into the nematode issues. Where we're at, we're more of a uh, a, a clay loam mix. So we're not too bad with any kind of a bug. Um, we've, on average, we may have maybe once every ten years some aphids or, you know, some other kind of oddball bug come in there. But as far as any kind of other issue, directly around me, there's a there's a little localized blight that we can get on the leaves every now and then if it's a really wet year. But other than that, we're pretty lucky when it comes to disease. We don't have a whole lot. That is a good thing. Well, there's plenty of challenges on your farm, I'm sure. You don't need another one to stack up against you. But uh, it's been good talking to you, Franklin. Good luck here with the cotton this year, and and, uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Yes, sir. Y'all have a good one. Got Daryl with us right now up in Michigan. All right, Daryl, I know you aren't going to be super busy out in the field in February. Nope. Greetings from balmy Michigan, guys. Well, we keep sending this cold air and snow your direction. I don't know if you're receiving it or not. We have. We have. Yeah, last week we probably got 8 to 12 inches, and we had the the sub-zero weather like you guys are having out there. I, I see today we're about nine times uh, warmer than you are today, but we're up a, <laughs> up about 18 degrees to your wow. two degrees, I think. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something in the winter, and it, it goes up and down. We're supposed to be up into the 30s next week, so it'll be a yep. little bit more bearable. But uh, it actually makes it a little easier to do some of the book work, uh, some of the equipment machinery repair stuff, uh, uh, all those kinds of things, and, and just kind of learning about oh, what are some of the new products. So what do you work on in Michigan when it gets cold like that and you're forced to be inside? Uh, kind of the same thing. I think book work and then going to meetings and planning for the upcoming season. Um, that's, that's kind of the norm now. There's lot, lots of meetings going on, you know, grower meetings and stuff. And not only here in our area, but nationally too, that I think the guys are going to. So what are you seeing on the trends on rent contracts now? We've talked about flex, uh, flex rent type contracts before with today's markets. Uh, are you still seeing that being a popular thing? Yeah, um, the larger farmers in our area, the um, the guys that farm my land, um, we have like a base that I, I know I'm going to get every year, regardless of how yields are. And then from there, they they have a formula that they use, and they track the local cash price of corn and beans on a daily basis. Um, and then from there, depending on like what my farm yields. Um, they take that and plug it into their formula times the yield, and then um, they they use their I think a five year Olympic average on their on their farm, and we come out with a flex payment um, off from that. So it's been the last couple of years. I mean, I was down in 2023 from the rent that I received just 
you know, versus 2022, even though yields were better, but this the price of corn and beans, you know, it, it kind of went down over the years. So I understood that. I was still happy um, with, with what I received. Well, and having that base as well, that you know for sure you're getting that amount. I, I, I talked to so many landlord yeah. owners that say, I, I need to know where I'm at because I'm, I'm kind of counting on that money. And then to have the option that, hey, if it's a fantastic year, you get to share in a little bit of that as well. Uh, that it kind of makes for a nice deal. Absolutely, yeah, and, and it's fair. I mean, I think the, the guys that farm my farm, like I say, they come out, they, they, they factor out a basically the gross revenues, and then they basically take about 30% of that number, and that's kind of what my rent is for, for the year. So, um, you know, and, and, and I need to have them make money too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't want to be switching tenants all the time, and that's, that's something that uh, a lot of people not associated with farms would think, well, wait a second, don't you kind of put that out for bids every year? No, you want a long-term relationship with people that are going to yeah. take good care of your ground because yeah. uh, you know, a lot of folks farmed in the past, they want, they want things to look good out there and, and perform well. I mean, there's other farmers around this area that would probably pay me more, but I know in the long run that I'm going to be treated fairly. And I've told the, the guys that farm my farm that I want them to farm it just like it's their land. And I know and that they're going to have it until either I pass away or they quit farming. So, um, you know, I mean, that's just kind of the the way it is around our area. We we There's not many landlords that switch year in and year out it just it doesn't work well you know no i agree it's kind of the same thing here too now we're talking with daryl up in michigan he's already taken eight to 12 inches of snow away from us daryl if you want to take some more next week that'd be fine with us too but hey it's great great talking to you as always this was the only snow that we'd received up you know of, of any accumulation it was last weekend so we'd It'd been in in the 40s and 50s and rainy, and you know I think our subsoil moisture is good, but yeah, this is the first snow we'd receive. So, uh, before I let you go, I just wanted to congratulate you guys on your national championship with your jackrabbit. Oh, thank you, Daryl. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, we really enjoyed that. That was that was that's awesome for our our university. Yeah, but- my, my Wolverines did well too. So. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. That's uh, kind of a nice uh, nice double header there. I know. Brian really likes the Wolverines too, so he was pretty happy. His his teams good, uh, in both good. divisions won things. That was kind of nice for him. Yep, hail to the victors. Go blue! <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks a lot, Daryl. We really appreciate it. Have a good weekend, guys. Take care. You Bye-bye. too. Hey, you know, I got a mailbag question here. I'm going to throw in at the, right before we take a break. This comes from Ryan up in Michigan, and he said, Hey, guys, uh, in regards to corn, I'm a new seed dealer, sold some seed corn to my dad and and brother, and uh, the corn they bought went 272 bushels in a plot. That's awesome. Uh, If they're shooting for 272 bushel corn, how much urea would they need to be putting on, and what other pieces of information would you need to make a great nitrogen recommendation? We need a soil test so we can see organic matter in the soil, cation exchange capacity, and carryover nitrogen. Those are the biggest factors. And we'd also like to know previous crop. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. If you look close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agro-liquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential. 
maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less, expect more, precisely. Find an AgroLiquid dealer at agroliquid.com. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valen.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now, you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll answer that question at our free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep into your best options for control of yield-robbing pests, trade options including ExtendFlex and Enlist, fertility, and much more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and more fun, come to the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. At Commodity Classic, you'll connect with farmers from around the world as we explore new frontiers in agriculture. Join us in Houston February 28th through March 2nd, 2024. Houston, we have no problem. Discover more at commodityclassic.com. Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash you're listening to ag phd radio broadcasting from the morton studio today on farmer friday taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD uh, Brian, just before the break, I had a nitrogen question from Ryan up in Michigan. And, and you know, we get a lot of questions around nitrogen. Guys trying to dial in those rates just perfectly. And it's it's always a little bit of a gamble because you have to put the fertilizer out before you know exactly what you're going to yield. Yep, that's right. So you're never going to be able to dial it in perfectly. Now, speaking of nitrogen, on Tuesday, I'm going to be out in Garing, Nebraska. That's right next to Scott's Bluff, so way out in western Nebraska, speaking two farmers about nitrogen just because of all the regulations that they're talking about implementing in the state of Nebraska and how you can still have high yields 
without having as much nitrogen loss and kind of managing through that because there are a lot of light soils out there, a lot of high yields, a lot of need for nitrogen. So we got to try to figure those things out a little bit. So anyway, I'm going to be talking from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. out at the Gehring Civic Center in Gehring, Nebraska next Tuesday, January 23rd. And I think we have information on that on our website at agphd.com now as well. All right, let's get back to the phone lines. Got David with us right now down in Kentucky. How you doing, David? Good. How you guys doing today? We're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, how'd things turn out for you this year with your crops? Very good. <clears throat> Beans were probably off five bushel. Corn's the best I've ever had. Wow, that's awesome. And I don't. <laughs> only thing I can figure. I mean, the old timers always say plant and dust, bins will bust, and Corn was just outstanding. Yeah, that's I can't just just good, really good. Yeah, just thankful, just thankful. That's awesome, and yeah. and you know it doesn't happen every year. It's not every year that we set records out there, so it, it makes it a little bit of a challenge though going into this year because now you got that number in your head and you're thinking, man, can I do that again? Am I am I am I crazy to think that? I, you have to kind of plan for it though, don't you? You know, we've been. We're, we're hauling corn and bringing lime in, and I don't want to say we're already behind a little bit, but we've got so much to do to try to keep up with last year. We're uh, done a lot more with cover crops, pretty much just wheat. That's the only thing we, we find that really works well. I, I live right by a, a large airport, Greater Cincinnati Airport, and it's so big it even their airspace even goes into my Indiana farm. And... They're starting to get drones that are big enough to do cover crop, but until they're affordable, we're pretty much winter wheat. Sure, sure. And then addressing the, addressing the micros and spending, we spent more money than we ever have. I mean, every year we spend more and more, but man, you can't afford not to. I treat, heck, probably 80% of my beans are treated now. I never used to treat beans. What made, just, what made the difference, David? What what was something you said, man, I got, I really got to start doing that? Did you have disease issues or did you have uh, insect issues or did you just see guys getting more yield out of it? Just just honestly, just pounding fertility. Pounded, pounded, pounded. I mean, uh, I've listened to you guys for a long time and you talk about drought-proofing a crop. And I'm not saying my, my crops are drought-proofed, but I don't. Let me start over. Yes, I was a little nervous when we didn't get all that rain. But the crop at night, early morning, looked wonderful. Yeah, the corn would curl a little bit 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But hour before dark, it would unfold. And, I mean, it looked, obviously it was good. And I just, I, I think just making sure you're on top of your fertility, obviously take care of weeds. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of what they're, talking about doing with the the enlist corn i'm afraid too many guys are going to carry one one load and try to spray everything with the same herbicide yeah i mean i've, I've got a neighbor he said boy that's gonna be nice i'm like i wouldn't do that but <laughs> you know i mean no no i don't I, I don't you can make an enemy quick telling somebody how to run their farm yeah 
Yeah, everybody wants to do it their own way and has, has got their own ideas. I, I do agree, though, that it's kind of nice to, to look at what other people are doing. Sometimes you say, you know, that isn't going to work for me. And, and other times it's like, wow, that guy's actually got a good idea. I get to farm with my brother, so we've got different ideas all the time. And, and we got to prove it out on the field. If he's got a different idea doing it, all right, well, let's try it. And we'll we'll see how that works. And if it works great, then we'll do it on a lot more acres. And if if it if my idea turns out better, we'll do that. And and it's it's just been a kind of a fun learning process. And you know, especially when when uh, being a first generation farmer, that that adds some more challenges for you. And and I I totally hear you when you say you've just been pounding fertility there, trying to build things up. Uh, I I'm so happy for you that that you really hit a home run this year on the corn crop. And and wish you the best of luck heading into this 2024 season. Hey, four dollar corn. <laughs> we had to make yield. <laughs> yeah, that's we, exactly right. I mean, last year was six fifty. This year is four fifty. But I'm like I said, I'm blessed. Very, very, very blessed to have the help I have and smart people like you guys giving away advice. It always that always helps. So you guys are very much appreciated. You bet. Well, thank you so much, Dave. We really appreciate you too. All right. You guys have a good, happy, have a new, have a great season. Happy New Year. You bet. Happy New Year to you as well, David. Thank you so much. Let's head out to Montana. Got Scott with us right now. Scott, you keep sending us cold temperatures and more snow over here. Why don't you just keep that out there? (laughs) Well, we're tired of having it out here, so I thought you guys could (laughs) enjoy it a little bit too. No, I agree. You got to spread it out a little bit. That's that's okay. We don't mind having a little bit of cover out there uh, uh, for the winter, especially the winter wheat guys. We had a pretty nice winter wheat stand across our state. What's what's stuff looking like out in Montana? Yeah, we had a nice uh, fall for planting winter wheat. We got some rain, and just right before we planted there, the middle of September, and uh, got it up to a really nice, real nice start for the year. And and then we had actually some early snow in October. It covered it up and got cold, but it didn't freeze because it was still warm and it melted off and um, soaked her up good. And actually, I think the winter we grew all the way through December until it finally got cold here, maybe you know a week or ten days ago. But it was, it was still green there around Christmas time. Kind of crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. It just so it's, it bodes well for us for next best year. Start. Yes, definitely. It's the best start on winter we we've had in quite a few years. Well, getting a little bit of moisture in the ground, that helps so much, too, with winter survival and gives you a lot of hope for, for some decent yields next year. Uh, what, did, what did you think this year? I mean, what kind of crop did you have in 2023? Um, our winter wheat crop actually wasn't very good. We had a lot of winter kill last year. We had a lot of wind and bare ground or on the hilltops, and, and uh, the winter crop just it wasn't very good. But we had good spring crops. We had probably record spring wheat yields and record pea yields. Um, it just it just wasn't right for the winter wheat because of, you know, the winter kill and the bad start it had the fall of 22. Yeah, that's you know what? That is a great thing for our, our non-farm listeners to hear, that spreading the risk out, planting multiple crops. Yep, one of them didn't do very good, but a couple others did really well so that you get to farm again <laughs> if you would have put all your eggs yes. in one basket and said, oh, it looks like a great winter wheat year and – it would have been a horrible, horrible year in 2023 for sure. Well, any big changes uh, in this year's crop, Scott? Anything you're doing differently that you're kind of curious to see how it turns out? You know, we're really not. Um, you know, we're doing kind of the same old things. We've we've tried some other things. We've tried some oil seeds. There's a lot of guys in our area that plant uh, a lot of safflower. 
Um, there's kind of getting to be some canola interest here, and, and we've tried some of that stuff. And just with the harvest issues, it really it made it hard to harvest because everything almost needed to be done at once. And with some of these crops, when they get too dry, you know, they, they're going to shell out. So, like, canola didn't really work very well with our peas because of harvest issues. But So we're just kind of sticking with what we do with our pulse crops and uh, winter wheat and spring wheat and sprinkling a little bit of corn here and there for feeding for our cows. So um, nothing nothing too major of a change. Well, it sounds like uh, it sounds like it's been working, and and staying the course is is not a bad strategy either. Just hoping for hoping for a little bit of moisture this year and some good weather. Hey, Scott, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and and good luck to you heading through the rest of the winter. Thank you, Darren. We enjoy listening to your show. Oh, you bet. You appreciate it. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It is a Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open at eight four four forty four Ag PhD. We'll be right back. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings, experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of Naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Do you want to optimize the amount of plant nutrition provided by the microbes in your soil? Source it. Want to replace 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre? Source it. Looking for a more cost-effective way to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI? Source it. Easy to handle, apply, and store. 
to make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Learn more at sound.ag. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio. It's Farmer Friday today. We're just taking your calls and questions all throughout the show. If you want to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. It's what Cameron did. He's from out in Virginia. Cameron, how are you today? Doing great. How y'all getting along? Excellent. So how early do you get started doing anything in the field in your area of the country there in Virginia? Well, right now we've got some beautiful South Dakota weather, and y'all can have it back. <laughs> Three or four inches of snow in last week, and temperatures got down to almost a single digits. We went down to 10 a couple of nights, but you're more than welcome to take it back whenever you'd like to. So. <laughs> I'd like to know just a little bit more about your winter, though. Do, how much snow do you normally get in a winter? Do you get just a few snowfalls? This, yes, just a very few. This is the um, first measurable snow we've had in about two years, and um, generally we get a couple of three or four inch snows and it helps get moisture back in the ground and makes it a little difficult dealing with the cattle but other than that it's pretty and everybody seems to enjoy it short and get a break from school so it's <laughs> <can be> nice <laughs> so what's top of mind for you as we head into 2024 here and this year's crops this year's grain markets all the things that are going on i mean what are you thinking most about for your farm um, we're probably going to maintain our uh, rotation of corn and soybeans as we've done in the past, have a little bit heavier on beans than we generally are on corn, and we'll probably maintain that uh, schedule again this year. Um, I'm a little concerned about the prices. They seem to have declined drastically since the oh, end of the year, I guess, middle of December, Yep. and hope that we'll get a turnaround here soon, but uh, I did forward contract a good bit of the uh, 23 crop, so we're in decent shape on that, but I was hoping to get a little bit better price for what we've got left to sell. But um, that's mostly what we're working on right now is just moving the grain and taking care of the cattle, making sure they've got what all they need and be working some calves here soon. So it's uh, a little bit slow period for us, but we'll probably generally get started back in working in the fields just depending on the weather, usually middle to the end of February and definitely by the 1st of March, uh, putting out lime and start putting out fertilizer, maybe do some early burn now. So you talk about having more soybean acres than, than corn acres again. What's your biggest challenge when it comes to raising soybeans? Is it weeds? Is it disease, insects? What is it? Mostly here is going to be the weed issue. Um, we don't have a lot of insects. We are getting more and more um trouble with the brown marmorated stink bug and that can come and go yep. with the different seasons or different years but that's been our biggest challenge is finding a way to control the stink bug um but the weed issue is probably our number one problem here disease doesn't seem to be quite as bad as in other areas we do have a higher humidity but generally we can um handle the disease as long as we stay on top of it with a fungicide application or two all right, so when you talk about weeds, is it mainly palmer, or what are you fighting? We've got, um, starting to get palmer. Um, we got Johnson grass, and there's still a few areas here that have cockleburr, but I would say palmer's probably going to be the biggest and uh, newest 
battle we've got to fight. Uh, we've got a good bit of mare's tail. Um, most guys in this area are 100% no-till and have been quite some time. So the perennial re- weeds that come back year after year are definitely um, going to be a little bit tougher to control. And then your annuals, like the palmer and all, are going to be here every year no matter what. So we're in a constant battle to make sure we stay on top of things. But as long as you've got a good uh, pre and post program, I think we can pretty much stay on top of things and keep everything under control. And we've had a good bit of Johnson grass in this area. So that's another thing. And I think the farmers uh, stay on top of it and have a good weed control program. So I think um, pretty much everybody in Virginia does a good job of trying to maintain good weed control program. Yeah, you're right, though. When you're in no-till, it's tougher with some of those perennials, like Johnson grass, the winter annuals, like you, mare's tail. Just a little bit different. What do you different. think, Brian, about the new Reviton? What do you think about that coming from, is that from Helm, that's supposed to have Johnson grass control with a burn-down, kind of a product like Sharpen, except it's got uh, burn-down activity on some of the grasses like Johnson grass? I uh, just haven't seen that yet. I, I don't imagine, Cameron, you've tried any of that Reviton yet, have you? No, we have not. That's a new one on me. I haven't heard much about that one. So, um, generally in the past, we've been able to stay on top of it with uh, glyphosate products. And um, even some of the yellows will help control the uh, seedling Johnson grass. So, that helps a lot as well. And my father's kind of, he's still farming. He's 85 and he's still farming with me and works every day just like I do. But... (laughs) He's been a firm believer in uh, prowl and atrazine for years on corn and yep. some type of prowl or treff land. It, when we were working the land, of course, it's all no-till now, so we generally use a prowl product. But um, he's a firm believer in that, and it still works, and it's cheap. So I've been impressed with uh, the control we get on season Johnson grass with that. Well, I'm glad to hear your dad's going well at age 85. You know, there are a lot of farmers that are getting up there in age, but what many of them tell me is, hey, when I stay involved in the farm, I'm active, I'm healthier, I'm happier. So glad to hear that. Well, he's told me that he can sit at home in the easy chair and watch ball games or something, or he can go out there and sit in the combine or the sprayer and... <laughs> Feel like he's participating and doing something which helps me out tremendously and thanks to all those steer and guidance it helps tremendously and takes a lot less stress off of him so he's still yep. a active in the game so i'm proud of that and hope he can continue as long as possible yeah that's awesome well hey cameron it's been great talking to you as always we want to wish you the best of luck here in 2024 hope it's a great year for you well i certainly appreciate it good luck to y'all and look forward to hearing from you again you bet thanks a lot cameron Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, Brian, get some soil tests here from uh, John over in southwest Wisconsin. I, I give, you, give you this first page here just to show you where he's got waterways that go through there. He said, you can see that we've got these waterways. So we did get some tile in for erosion issues as well as waterway expansion from water buildup during spring runoff. Uh, this is on roughly 40 acres. We've got two-and-a-half-acre grids here. Uh, 225 bushel yield goal. Uh, we did get lime out there that is now really starting to work, so our pH has really come around. Just kind of curious, what are some other things that you see on the test that you would be focused on if it was yours? Well, first of all, it's pretty light soil. Uh, 6 to 11 cation exchange capacity. 
So you can't hold much, and you really have to be paying attention to nitrate, sulfate, boron, because they're going to be leaching out on you on a regular basis. And uh, where did you say this is at? Southwest Wisconsin. Okay. So not like a crazy amount of rainfall or anything, but still, I mean, there's rain, and so we're always going to be a little bit worried about not just nitrate, sulfate, boron, but potassium a little bit too. Anyway, uh, so I guess I'd say this. One of the biggest things that stands out to me, we often talk about, and you hear us all the time, say 4 to 8% base saturation potassium. That's on heavy soils. On light soils, you got to look at pushing that maybe even a little bit more. And here's the reason why. I'll just give you an example of, okay, here he's at, let's see, I want to see the thing closest to 4%. Okay, so we got 4.4% base saturation can one test but it's only 112 parts per million of potassium. That's uh, 224 pounds. That's it. So, I I mean, it's roughly 250 pounds of K2O potassium, and that's not enough for a big corn crop. Corn actually takes more potassium out of the soil than it does nitrogen. So that's number one for me that I would say in your test. And then after that, I'm focused on phosphorus. So a lot of phosphorus levels are in the teens here. So I'm looking at more P and K, and that's really the biggest thing. The other thing that stands out to me here is I don't see micronutrient tests at all, and I'm really curious how you're doing on micros. I I can promise you your boron level's low because it's light soil, but I don't know about the rest of them because, for example, copper and zinc are ridiculously important to that crop but they don't leach just like phosphorus that's not going to leach so you could have them you might not i don't know so i just like to see what the tests are on those all right thanks for the questions we really appreciate that and stay tuned we'll be right back after this Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. The hard-working independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll answer that question at our free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep into your best options for control of yield-robbing pests. 
trade options including extend flex and enlist fertility and much more if you want to make raising beans more lucrative and more fun come to the free ag phd soybean agronomy workshop learn more at agphd.com because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year basf is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground we're committed to boots in the mud boots on the steps of your truck your tractor your combine the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio, and our phone lines are open at 844. 844- 44 ag phd if you have an agronomic question uh, it must be wisconsin day here brian you got another soil question this is from dave he says i've got light sandy soil here in western wisconsin i checked out your corn clinic heard a lot about potassium well i've got one to four percent organic matter and uh, i've got seven percent base saturation but obviously light sandy soils is there a parts per million target you would also throw out for potassium in this situation? Okay. Depends a lot on what your yield goal is. So let's just say, for example, we were talking a lot about 250 bushel corn. And also, if you're listening for anybody and you say, well, I'm not getting 250 bushel corn. Okay. I'm not talking about your average. I'm talking about the best areas on your farm. Let's take the top 10% of all your ground, there are you getting 250 bushel corn. And you might say, well, yeah, but I'm, that's not my average. <laughs> Look, here's the thing. If you're getting some really high yields, we've got spots on our farm that went 340 this year. 340. Well, I just pulled off all those nutrients for 340. That means if I don't fertilize back again in those areas for 340, I'm depleting my soil. Now, the challenge with light soil, like he's talking about, light, lower organic matter soil, is there are some nutrients that are very leachable, like nitrate, for example. Then you got some nutrients that can leach in really light soils, but they don't, like for me, in really heavy soils when we barely get any rain. Potassium is in that category. So in that case, not only are we concerned about, hey, we want to have the right number of pounds out there, but we have to make sure it stays there so it so the crop gets to use it. So anyway, 250 bushel corn needs 338 pounds of K2O potassium. Okay, so what does that amount to in terms of parts per million? Let's just run the simple math. Darren, do you have something? No, I oh. thought you were... No, I. Okay, so three thirty-eight. I thought you were looking for me for math, help, oh, no. which I can no, certainly no, no. do. But I know you enjoy doing the math as well. Well, I, I enjoy spreadsheets. So anyway, most people would think that's horrible. 
I really like it, actually. Okay, so I take 338, I divide by 1.2. And the reason why I do is we're trying to convert K2O potassium, which is what we said we needed, 338 pounds of K2O potassium. And what I'm trying to do is convert that over to potassium parts per million, because that was his question. So 338 divided by 1.2 means I got to have 282 pounds of potassium out there. And if I divide that by 2, 141, that'd give me parts per million. So I'd want to be at at least 141 parts per million. And I just want you to think about this for a second. That's the bare minimum. We know that's what the crop needs. Is your crop actually going to pull every last drop of available potassium out of the soil next year? Probably not. So... I, that This is where I go, I don't know exactly what to tell you. I, I mean, personally, if I had your ground, I'd want to be shooting for at least 250 parts per million, maybe 300. But again, the challenge is I don't know how quickly it's leaching out of your ground because I don't know how sandy is sandy to you. If I had your cation exchange capacity number, that would help me. Okay, So where I'm going with this is if I had a 2 CEC, I'd say there's no chance that I'm not going to lose some potassium this year. If I had a 9 CEC, because many people will call that, oh, it's real sandy. Well, it's a 9 CEC. It's not the end of the world. Um, then, yeah, I'd, I'd, I don't know that I'd be super worried about losing a whole lot of potassium each year. Anyway, so again, I'd pro if it's me, I'm probably going to tell you 250, 300 parts per million is probably what I'm shooting for. But if you want to go a little lower and then put some on in season, I could certainly see that too. All right. I uh, wanted to jump in on that potassium bandwagon is Jeff oh, hey, over in Minnesota. Oh, and I'm sorry. And that was when we were talking about 250 bushel corn. If your goal is less, then obviously you can get by with less parts per million. Your goal is more, then you'd need a little more. Sorry, go ahead. All right. Jeff said, I got the opposite situation here. I've got uh, my soil test showing high parts per million of K, but my base saturation is only 1 to 2.5%. Now, I'm told that even though I have high levels of K, I need to apply more so it's available for my crop. Can you explain this concept? Does your K sure. level matter, or is it only base saturation? Even hog manure ground that applies a lot of K, it's got a low base saturation K, and I'm kind of frustrated. Okay, well, I'd like to see the test, because it could be thrown off a little bit if you have a whole bunch of free lime. But nevertheless, one of the things that we're looking at is your magnesium to potassium ratio. Magnesium and potassium compete and they compete hard against each other. So what I'm saying is if your base saturation K is 2% and your base saturation in magnesium is 25%, um, yeah, I'll promise you, you will have a potassium deficiency, even though you might tell me, well, I've got 300 plus parts per million. And on the soil test, it says that's high for parts per million. Um, it's, it, I, I don't know what to say. It's not high. What what we're typically shooting for as a ratio of magnesium to potassium parts per million, okay, parts per million, not base saturation, but parts per million, is two to one to one to one. So let's just say, for example, you had 300 parts per million of potassium. We would like to have our magnesium in the range of 300 to 600 parts per million, okay? So the base saturation is figured a little weird because, well, I'm not going to go way into the science behind how they figure base saturation or anything, but I'd just say 
Normally, what we're shooting for on base saturation is 4 to 8% potassium and 12 to 20% magnesium. When you're in that general ballpark, then usually you've got what we would consider a balance level of magnesium to potassium, and you should be in pretty good shape. You should be able to get both of those into the plant. But what you're going to find, if again, let's go back to my example of let's say you had 25% magnesium and 2% base saturation K, what you'll find is if you do tissue analysis, and heck, even if you look on the leaves of the plant, you'll be able to see potassium deficiency out there. Yet, you'll have great levels of magnesium in the plant, and you'll go, wow, I'm doing great on magnesium. And then you'll be disappointed when you put potassium on, and you go, wow, my magnesium levels went down. Yeah, your magnesium levels were excessive before. Now we're trying to get them back down a little bit. So anyway, that's kind of how the whole thing works. So I, again, like to see your soil tests before we, because I'm jumping to a lot of conclusions here. So I don't have the data to say for sure this is what's happening. This is just my guess. But I can just tell you, you put K on, you get that K into that 4 to 8% range, you're going to be happy. All right. And yeah, like like everything, try it on a small amount of acres first and, and see what you see. Now, here's the other thing. If let's say that I'm wrong, I'm not, but let's say that I was wrong. Here's the worst possible situation for you. You spent money sooner than you needed to. What I'm saying is you're going to go, oh my gosh, I got to I gotta put on, let's call it 700 pounds of potash in one shot, or I just have to be on a, this huge build program for the next few years, one way or the other. Okay, worst case scenario, if I'm wrong, and again, I'm not, but if I was wrong, just mine it out of the soil. So you put the potassium on too early. You know that eventually you're going to have to put K out there anyway. So just go a couple of years without putting potassium on, then you're right back to where you were before. I didn't cost you any extra money. You just spent the money a little sooner than, than uh, needed. Um, this is why when we start talking about P and K in heavy soils, the conversation's completely different than putting extra nitrogen on. With extra nitrogen, if you don't get that yield gain this year, in a lot of cases, that nitrogen's just lost, it's gone forever, and you just wasted your money. Whereas the extra P and K, if you put it out there, you put too much on, so what? You just mine it out of the soil in a future year. No big deal. No lost money at all. Right. Quick nitrogen question from Jacob over in southeast Minnesota. He said, we've got a lot of small contour strips in our geography, so side dressing nitrogen is tough. We used to do uh, spring applied anhydrous, but we just saw too much injury from that. And fall applied isn't an option for us. What do you think about uh, AMS, urea? Uh, like it. Like should, it. I, should I be doing liquid? Like I'm it. not really set up to do anything with my planter. Yeah. I, I, do we know how heavy the soils are? We do not. But okay. I know it really varies there, and some are lighter. Sure. So doing stuff in the spring does make sense to me. Use a nitrogen stabilizer Use or use a stabilized nitrogen product. Do something that's going to extend the life. Ammonium sulfate also can extend the life of the, the nitrogen. Do things like that. That'd be my best route. Yep. Sounds like you're on the right track, Jacob. Thanks for the question. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. I always enjoy Farmer Friday and getting to talk to folks from all over. Uh, if you ever have a question, just send it in to us, radio at agphd.com. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.